Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm from finder.com and we are talking about Sydney. My top tip for visiting Sydney is to head to the eastern beaches and do the Bondi to Bronte walk. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Although I love to travel, sometimes it is just good to be home. When I moved to Nashville, I decided to splurge and get a Nectar Sleep mattress that provided all the comfort of a luxury hotel without the price tag of one. I love that Nectar Sleep includes a forever warranty and that you get a 365 night trial to make sure that your mattress is everything you've dreamed of. For a limited time, my listeners will get $125 off and two free pillows with your order when you use the link wetravelthere.com forward slash nectar. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining the show. We're so excited today to talk about Sydney, Australia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So what's your connection with Sydney? Uh, as you can probably tell from my accent, I am Australian. I was born and raised in Sydney. I live there most of my life. I'm now based in New York, but I travel back home about once a year since we left two or three years ago. And I've lived in London, I've lived in Greece, um, now New York, but it's still considered my home. Nice, nice. So obviously, since you've been gone, what's one of the things that you miss most about Sydney? I miss the food a lot. Sydney, Australia in general, has really beautiful fresh produce. You'll find when you go out to eat that a lot of the menus are very seasonally based. So there won't be a dish that you'll find all year round or there may be occasionally, but often menus change for what's seasonally fresh and and the best produce of the time. I obviously miss the beaches. Um, I find that the ones here, at least on the East Coast, don't compare. Uh, the beaches in Sydney are gorgeous, and they're so close to the city. So you get that, that city lifestyle as well as the really laid-back, very healthy, active beach lifestyle as well. Nice. I would say probably the, the closest that we have in, in the United States is like a Southern California, like San Diego, uh, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach, those type of areas, uh, probably the closest that we have to what, you, what you've become accustomed to over in Sydney. That's correct, yes. So we talked about that Sydney can be kind of expensive, one, to get there, but also when you are there, things may be a little bit more expensive. What do you think about that? That's true. We do have pretty high cost of living in Sydney. The dollar, the dollar value compared to the US dollar, it's, I think it's about um, 76 at the moment. And so you will actually gain a lot back when you are converting your US dollars to Australian dollars. But like anywhere, you can find great value and great deals if you really look around and speak to some locals. People in Australia and people in Sydney are very, very proud of their city. So they'll be always very happy to talk to you about the best place to get fruit and vegetables, the best place to grab a coffee and really try and get that value. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the last time I was there in Sydney that there were some things that were actually a little bit more, a little bit less expensive than they are here in the US. Mm-hmm. But I think things like like beer and other beverages, those were a little bit more expensive because obviously they have to be shipped from the US or from other parts of the world to Australia. That's right. Yeah, you actually, it's almost like a tax that you're paying for being so far away in Sydney. We, we do have to pay a little bit extra. Yeah, but that's okay. Uh, it's all part of the whole experience of, of going someplace new, you know? So when people are coming to, to Sydney, is there a certain time of the year that's better than others uh, to visit? Well, I think if you're coming 
coming to Sydney, you probably want to see and experience the beaches. Um, that is one of the, the crowning jewels of Sydney. So in that case, I would really stick to the spring summer weathers, mm-hmm. um, summer seasons. It does get quite warm um, pretty early in the year. Keep in mind that our seasons are opposite to they are here in the US. So as we're just ending our summer at the moment, the time that we're chatting right now, Sydney ciders are coming into their spring. So it's starting to get very warm. I actually was back in Sydney a couple of weeks ago and I think that the temperature there at the time was the same as what it was here in New York in the middle of summer. So there are some freakishly warm days in winter, but in general, people tend to hibernate. Businesses close early. So to get the best out of Sydney, I really would try and aim for spring, summer. Yeah. When we were there, let's see, the, the first time we were there was in December and it was pretty warm. And it was also pretty odd just seeing all the Christmas decorations. I remember seeing a, an ornament that was like Santa, like on a surfboard in shorts. So that was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We do have our Santas wearing board shorts and flip flops. It's And even growing up in Sydney, you're used to seeing that white Christmas. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an odd time of year around the holiday season. <laughs> Yeah. And then the second time we were there, it was in end of April. So I think to me, that was probably a a better time to visit because it was, you still had reasonably warm weather and you didn't have to worry about about a jacket or anything still, but you also didn't have like the, the, the higher heat. I like to have just more moderate temperatures when I, when I travel places. So, so I think that was probably a better time for us, at least when we visited. Yeah, I'd also keep a look at the rain. April um, can tend to be quite rainy and we get that really tropical rain in Sydney. So it doesn't just sprinkle, it comes down really hard. It becomes difficult to drive. So keeping an eye on what the rainfall will likely be um, is really important as well because it does really impact um, what you can do while you're there. Sure. Speaking of driving, obviously in Australia, it's a or was a colony of of, uh, of the Britons. Over there, you drive on the left side of the road, correct? That's right. Yes. And so, yeah, when I was there, it was it took quite a bit to get used to driving. You know, you're stopping at an intersection, and you go, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm turning left. Do I turn into the closest lane or the farthest lane?" And like, you just have this whole mental exercise of trying to remember where to go, so that way you're not like hitting somebody you know, head on. Yeah, it does take a little getting used to, but the other thing to remember is the um, indicators and the windshield wipers tend to be on the opposite side. So you might be going to indicate left and then suddenly your, your windscreen markers <laughs> are going crazy. It's it, it takes a little time to get used to, but then, you know, driving is the same anywhere. Oh, for sure. For sure. So when you think of visiting Sydney, is it more of a, of a town that you can use public transportation or do you need to rent a car when you're there? The public transport is actually really great in Sydney. I mean, it depends. I live in New York where the subway runs very, very frequently. You might have to wait about 10 to 15 minutes for a train in Sydney. Um, We have the ferry system, which is a really beautiful way to get around. I recommend that everybody try the ferry while they are visiting Sydney. It's very inexpensive. You get right out on the water. It's the best way to view our opera house and the Harbour Bridge. Um, And then you get to actual different bays. So you might be in the city and then you have 20 minutes and you'll be right in Manly Beach, which is over on our really beautiful northern beaches. Um, And then we have the bus system as well, which is also pretty reliable and easy to use. We have a transport system called Opal, so it's the one card, so visitors can can get that card um, loaded up with time, value, and then just use it on all of those different different systems. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I love being able to save money by just having, you know, using public transportation and having like that one card. That Opal, is it Opal or is, it a, is there another train that actually runs from the city center to the airport? It's Opal. So every um, part of the city is accessible using the, the Opal network. That's the card that you use. And then the Sydney transport system is all operated by the government. So you can get that train system out to the airport. It's actually one of the easiest ways to get to and from the airport. The traffic, like anywhere, any airport um, in a major city, the traffic is pretty pretty bad and the taxis can cost quite a lot. But for cost as well as time and convenience, I usually will get into the city with a train when I'm, I'm landing in Sydney. Nice. That's, that sounds great. And then I think one of the other reasons to not use, to not rent a car, is that parking can be pretty expensive in the city. That's correct. Parking is, depending on where you go, really, really hard to find, especially when you get down to those beaches. I've had times trying to go to the beach and spending most of the time in the car finding a parking spot to pay about $12 for for 30 to, to 60 minutes, which is, you know, if you want to spend a bit of time on the beach, it can get really expensive. So, Depending where you want to go, I would actually only look at cars um, if you're trying to get out of the city. Otherwise, we have Uber Uber there as well. We have a really good taxi system, um, and I mentioned the transport, so I would really stick to those. For sure, yeah. I mean, I remember when we went to, to Bondi Beach that we actually took the bus from, from Sydney over there. That's right, yeah. It's very regular. The train goes to Bondi Junction, which is pretty much on top of the hill. It's about a 15-minute walk down into Bondi Beach or a um, very quick taxi or a bus. It's a couple of minutes. So really, really easy to get around. Nice. And, and when people are looking for like recommendations of things to do or places to eat, uh, you said that Yelp is really isn't, isn't used much over there. Yeah, I had a colleague here who went who went to Sydney recently and it was the one of the things that I didn't even think to mention and he he really struggled to find places he was using Yelp, but it's people know about Yelp back in Sydney, but it's just not widely used. We have a different system, um, something called Zomato, which you can use for restaurants. Um, we have time out there as well. The papers are often doing, you know, restaurant recommendations. So, you know, Daily Telegraph, Sydney Morning Herald are the two main papers there. Um, so those are the best places to look for, for listings. Or as I mentioned, just ask a local. They're, everyone's always very, very happy to tell you they're the best place to get something because we're very proud of our food scene in Sydney. For sure. And that's the, that's actually the reason why you're on the show today, right? So we want right. we want your local recommendations. And so speaking of food, like what are some of the places that you love to eat in Sydney? I mean, I miss the food the most. So breakfast, I tell all my, my friends here that breakfast is something that I just think Sydney ciders do really, really well, really fresh, light, beautiful breakfast. There's a place called Bill's. There's two, two or maybe three at the moment um, that are dotted around. There's one in Bondi. Um, there's one in the city in a, a suburb that fringes the CBD called Surrey Hills and then one in Darlinghurst. So you can get a really nice poached egg on gorgeous sourdough toast with avocado and, and bacon, whatever you, whatever you want. Southeast Asian food is really popular in Sydney. We're very close, obviously, being Australian, we're very close to Southeast Asia. So Thai is very popular. Vietnamese is very popular. One of the restaurants that I recommend people go to is called Long Grain, also in Surrey Hills. So that's just on the fringes, about a 10-minute walk from the CBD. And there's a great restaurant called Apollo, which is Greek food. We have a very big 
Greek population in Sydney, not as big as Melbourne. Melbourne has the, the biggest Greek population outside of Athens, but there is still quite a big population in Sydney. So some great, really light, fresh Greek Mediterranean food and Italian. My favourite restaurant is called Buffalo Dining Club and I dream about their cheese. They ship it in from Italy, but it's just beautiful, fresh-made pasta and, and cheeses and just very simple, fresh food. Oh, that sounds absolutely amazing. I'm, I can, <laughs> I'm ready for some pasta right now. Yeah. So one of the places that I wish I knew the name of it, but it was right around the corner. We were staying at the Park Hyatt in Sydney, mm-hmm. and we met this couple when we were up on the rooftop deck overlooking the Sydney Harbor Bridge and the Opera House, and it was just a, an amazing view there. But it was a, around the corner. We just walked maybe 10, 15 minutes. It was this the little steakhouse that was just hidden in the corner of almost like underneath the bridge. And it was just amazing because, you know, I love having some nice steak and they actually brought out this thing where you can do like a sampler of all the different steaks. And so I got four little small petite steaks of different varieties and it was, oh my God, it was absolutely amazing. I wish I, I wish I could figure out the name. I'm going to have to poke around, see if I can find it. Oh, there's a little area called Argyle Street um, in the rocks. It's under under a bridge, and they have a couple of steakhouses there. I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not the best person to ask for a steak recommendation, but okay. it is also very popular in, in Australia. We have we do a lot of export in the region of our beef products, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things people love when they come to Sydney. Nice. So uh, being a vegetarian, are there certain places that you absolutely love for vegetarian food? Well, the Asian food is all very vegetarian-friendly. So I mentioned um, long run. You can find some really nice, cheap, local, really simple takeaway places. Almost everywhere I've lived, I've lived all over Sydney, I've always had just a little takeaway Thai place that has been my go-to for vegetarian food. But it's pretty easy for any dietary requirement. I mean, gluten-free. Gluten-free people will love all the seafood and, you know, those kind of dishes are really popular in, in Sydney. Okay, nice. And and so one of the things that people really want to do when they come down to visit Australia is they want to see the koalas and kangaroos, you know, all the different animals that are that are native to Australia. Mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations as far as the best places to go see them? Sure, there's a koala and wildlife sanctuary that it's actually a little uh, it's called Featherdale so just top of my head it's called Featherdale it's a bit of a drive out of the city probably about 40 minutes but there are a bunch of tour operators who who do shuttles you can you probably want to rent a car for that there are a few different options um, in getting out to Featherdale and they have loads of koalas and different native Australian wildlife pretty close contact it's interesting people come to sydney and want to cuddle a koala we actually don't allow that in our state but if you go up to queensland they have different laws around wildlife touching so you can go to places in queensland where you can actually cuddle a koala but in in sydney it's um just looking and admiring on the branches (laughs) okay nice because i remember when we went to sydney we actually went to the featherdale wildlife park oh you did and so it was really interesting. Right when you walk in, there's a, all these little wallabies that are just bouncing around. And we're like, wow, did it's like somebody open the gate and let these guys out? I mean, because you're just not used to seeing the wild animals like yeah. just out there that you can walk by, you can pet them, you can you touch them. And uh, obviously you want to be careful and, and things like that, but and be respectful of the animals and, and their life. But 
it was just really interesting that they're right there. But I didn't realize that there was a, a specific law about not being able to handle the koalas because we were there and took a picture with the koala, but it was up on a little branch and we just took a picture next to it. Mm-hmm. But then we came, I think it was during that trip, we actually flew up to Townsville to the Billabong Wildlife Sanctuary. And there we actually got to hug a wombat. Yeah. And hold a koala and hold a crocodile and all these other things. So it's interesting that the laws are a little bit different in each of the different territories of the of the country. Yeah, it's strange. I don't know the reason why, but I mean, the animals I've been up to, to enclosures in, in Queensland as well, as well as in Sydney, they're, they're looked after so well. And the people that work there are so passionate and so all for the animals. So I don't think either either state treats them badly. Um, it's just one of those weird little laws that we have down in um, New South Wales, which is the state that Sydney is in, where, yeah, you, you, can, you can stand next to them and get very, very close, but um, you won't be cuddling a koala in our city. <laughs> like I can imagine that there's so many tourists coming in, in and out that they're probably doing it for, to protect their health because mm. just like you, know, just like we pass germs back and forth amongst each other, you know, you don't want to, those germs getting passed on to the animals and, and making them sick and, and uh, having bad things happen to them. Yeah, and, you know, I think preservation of our wildlife, you'll notice when you come into Sydney, and that's actually something that people should be aware that it's one of the harshest customs in the world. I've travelled quite broadly, and entering in, like, you have to um, declare absolutely anything you have. They will take away all food because the, protecting our, our natural environment is just utmost importance. So I think that's definitely a part of it. We have terrible bushfires that at certain points of the year really ravage parts of our city and surrounding areas. So mm. you'll see that a lot of that wildlife do lose their lives in that. So these different uh, wildlife centres are really focused on keeping those numbers high and keeping them healthy and, and reproducing. I mean, I, I think just from a cultural understanding aspect that I love being able to go to these type of places where you can see the animals and and interact with them. So that way you can have a better understanding of the animals, their life, how they their impact to the to the community and to the, just the overall history of, of the country. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have those type of experiences, you kind of miss out on some of that. I mean, a lot of other people, they do want to abolish these type of places because, like, oh, they, the animals need to be out in the wild. But personally, I like being able to see that and be able to educate my children and educate myself even on some of that, because to me, it's, it's important to, to know the history of them. And like you said, these people care so much about the animals that obviously they're not going to let anything bad happen to them. And from us, you know, we can take that knowledge back and share it with other people and say, Hey, look, these animals are wonderful. You know, some amount of animals obviously have a bad reputation, but by getting interacting with them, like you can actually distill a lot of those fears. Absolutely. That's why it's 40 minutes out of the city. You, you, Having been there to Featherdale, you'll see that it is in a very suburban, and suburban Sydney is quite bushland dense. So a lot of the animals are actually living in these areas anyway. Some of them have come to the parks because they've been you know, hit by a car or, or been in some kind of accident. So they're actually in very close to what their natural habitat would be anyway. Well, that's great news. So Jennifer, we've learned a lot about Sydney. We have even more information that we're going to have in the show notes for everybody. But right now, uh, let's go ahead and get into the final countdown. So if a traveler only had time for one meal in Sydney, where should they go and what should they eat? 
So I've already waxed lyrical about Buffalo Dining Club. I want everyone to go there. Their crowning dish for me is their cacio pepe. It's plated at your table in a giant pecorino cheese wheel. So they stir the pasta around and, and get the crumbly cheese right off and into the dish and serve it up. And honestly, I dream about it and I'm starving <laughs> for it right now. It's a reason to go to Sydney and deal with that flight <laughs> alone. <laughs> nice. So. What's one of your most memorable stories of Sydney? I've had so many, obviously, having grown up there. I think that New Year's Eve is a brilliant time to go. I've experienced New Year's Eve in different parts of the world and just something about New Year's Eve in Sydney. We do the best fireworks show of anywhere I've been. It's just magical. I do have one story that, that always stands out. I used to work at a gym and part of my job, this is when I was in college, was dropping off flyers to the neighbouring houses. This was near um, a place called Kirribilli, which is where our client Prime Minister resides. So I was down in the Kirribilli area and um, saw a convoy of cars driving past. It might have been 2 p.m. in the middle of the week. And I looked up and it was the Queen who was driving past, having just, this is many years ago when she was last in Australia, driving past. There wasn't any fanfare. It wasn't a parade. She had just been visiting the Prime Minister and was on her way back to, to wherever she was staying. And she was myself and a jogger that was on the street and she gave us both away that was really surreal. That's really cool. Yeah. Obviously, we don't have uh, you know royalty here in, in the U.S. Other than we try to make you know athletes and singers and everything into royalty. But the way that I understand it from any of the U.K. nations, that the Queen is just—it's like an amazing experience to be able to see her. Yeah, it's, it was incredible. So one thing back to what you talked about as far as New Year's Eve for the listeners. Australia is one of the first countries in the world that actually brings in the new year, right? Because they're just over the dateline. That's right. So I'm getting messages from my family and friends about 12 hours before I've even thought about what I'm wearing for the evening here. (laughs) For sure, for sure. So when you're in Sydney, where's the happiest happy hour? So I like to tell people to get out of the city because a city happy hour is the same anywhere in the world, just, you know, suits and and what have you. We call afternoon drinks or early evening drinks sundowners. So I'd head to a beach, be going um, to Eastern beaches. You mentioned later that you had been to Bondi. Um, It's a place called the Bucket List, which is practically on the sand. Or get on the ferry. As I mentioned earlier, a ferry trip is just a beautiful way of seeing the harbour and head to a place called Wharf Bar in Mount. So it's it's very scenic, you have fairy lights strung up, the vibe is really relaxed and it's just a, a beautiful place to see the sun go down. Nice. I'm not sure if this is the place that you just mentioned in Bondi Beach that I'm pretty sure it was Bondi Beach that we were at. It was actually, this bar is right on the beach and it has a pool where the water from the ocean hits the rocks and splashes up into the pool. And so anybody that's inside the bar can go swimming there. It's not the same, but that's an incredible place also. It's called Icebergs. So Icebergs has a five-star Michelin star, I believe, restaurant that is at the top. And then the pool that you mentioned is attached to kind of their sports club, which is you can get a surf and turf meal, steak. It's a bit of a cheaper version, but still really hard to beat that view. And you you do see the waves come up into the rocks and you can go swimming. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I wish I had my swimming suit when we were there. It was mm. it would have been so much fun. 
one of the things I always like to do when I'm, I'm traveling is going to eat some pizza at, at one of the local shops. So where's the best pepperoni pizza in, in Sydney? Well, I, I can't vouch for pepperoni, but I can say the best pizza in Sydney. It's a place called Via Napoli. It started out as a really small neighborhood pizza joint. They had a tiny little tiny little restaurant in a very suburban area called Lane Cove. So you wouldn't really go to Lane Cove unless you grew up there or you were visiting friends there. But it became so popular and I lived there at the time that it actually brought out all the surrounding stores. There was a real estate agent, there was a couple of other little stores and they bought out that whole block because they were just so popular that the lines were becoming ridiculous. Since then, since they first opened, they've now expanded to two other locations. So, And there's one close to the city as well. So there's three different Via Napoli um, around Sydney that you can try. That sounds fantastic. Again, thank you for all your information. We love all the different answers as far as all the best things to do in Sydney. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what's going on at Finder. Sure. So my name is Jennifer McDermott. I am the Consumer Advocate and Head of Communications for Finder.com. We are a personal finance comparison website. So you would visit Finder.com if you were looking for a new credit card, a personal loan and um, travel deals. So we actually compare travel deals if you are inspired to visit Sydney after, after listening. Well, I think you're probably going to have a lot of people going to the website (laughs) to check on uh, airplane uh, tickets right now. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, We'll have all these links in the show notes and uh, have a great day. Thank you so much, Lee. Sydney is a bucket list destination for so many of us. I've been twice with my wife, Anna, and I love to go back and explore even more. Sydney is such a vibrant city with amazing architecture like the Sydney Opera House and the Sydney Harbor Bridge. I highly recommend taking both of those tours. And if you can, venture outside the city to see the Featherdale Wildlife Park. It was one of my favorite experiences in Australia. So what was your favorite thing you learned about Sydney? Please let us know in the show notes at wetravelthere.com forward slash Sydney or log into the We Travel There podcast community on Facebook. Join us in the next episode when Anne Slater Brooks takes us to the Tropical Butterfly House and Falconry Center in Sheffield, England. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts about travel, I suggest learning about your favorite boarding area travel bloggers with the Now Boarding Podcast, hosted by Ed Pizza. Each episode features an in-depth interview with one writer to discover their passion for travel and rewards. Let me know what you think.